0: Welcome back to the FBC Young Adults Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 6 of our series called Straight Out of Context. I'm John Lemons, the Minister of Young Adults here at First Baptist Church of Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm joined by Sam Maxwell. He's our Ministry Resident to Young Adults here at First Baptist. Sam, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's it's a good week. It's, you know, it's been really nice here in Huntsville, so it's a good day. How about you? How are things on your side of the hallway?
0: It's good, man. You know, so... uh, just to give some context for our listeners, if, if um, they're here local, if they're a part of our Young Adult Ministry group. Today is a Monday, and we just had a large Young Adult gathering two nights ago at Bronze Spring Park. And we had a ton of onions left over from that, sliced onions. And so we got the bright idea to go buy some batter mix and some other things. And we, we cooked up some onion rings here at the church and uh, made those for tasty. lunch for the staff. And they were tasty, but we're feeling it now. So yeah. it's, it's starting to hit like this afternoon. I was like, ah, oh, I'm starting to feel kind of sluggish. But they were mm-hmm. so good going down. So.
1: They were so good. And it was a great time to have time with other folks. And you mentioned the the outing. Um, you know, it's just so good to see people's faces and to not really have an agenda and just sit. And it was much this afternoon. It was nice to have the excuse of the onion rings to just sit around and just say, hey, how, how are things in your neck of the woods?
0: Yeah, and I hope you were able to join us for that, uh, loyal listeners, but if you were not, we have another gathering coming up in just a few weeks in June, so you can check that out. We're going to be actually gathering at a Trash Pandas game on June 6th. It's the first Sunday of June, and we've got the party deck reserved. It'll cost you $20, which it it would cost you a lot more than that if you were to go with another group. Uh, but you can join us for $20 on that day, and you can register for it at fbchsv.org fellowships. We'd love to have you come and join us there. And if you don't know Sam and I, uh, meet us. We'd love to uh, meet you and know who you are and what it is you like about this this show. So Yeah,
1: yeah, I love, you know, surprisingly, I've heard a couple of folks recently out of nowhere who were like, oh, yeah, I listen to your show. Me too. And a couple of them aren't even regular attenders at the church, and they just have to be like... I listen to it I enjoy it or people will say I've streamed the entire season I'm like thank
0: you yeah thank you for listening yeah and I've got people outside of our region that have done that with me and it's 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 really encouraging so thank you all for the kind words and messages and notes that you send us it's been it's been really great uh, you know we've had a few guests as well last week we were joined by a buddy of mine Joel Reynolds uh, Captain Joel Reynolds and that was a uh, that was that was a fun one um, Joel told some stories that I probably would not have told to uh, to everybody else out there, but uh, now they're out there and, and either. And uh, you know, hey, yeah, I eighth grade. That was uh, that was my thing, man. I was a big DC Talk fan, and that was when they were in their rap stage. And uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, to do a <laughs> DC Talk rap at church. It was on a Sunday night, though. To be fair, like it was. It was like a Sunday night report night, like when you would come back from your retreat or your mission trip or whatever and give a report to the church. So it was a little bit different. But uh
1: So it wasn't like Sunday morning with all of the gray hairs no, and no, no, suits no. and ties and you wanted to.
0: No, no, no. no. Yeah. Joel may have fudged a little bit on that <laughs> on that story. <laughs> so but anyways, uh yeah, so that that was fun and, and we may have another interview or two coming up or or just guests on our show coming up in the next couple of weeks. We are still working on those details. But like I said, you know, a couple of reviews have come in. We've been sent some nice messages. So thank you guys so much for doing that. Uh, Sam, you know, it's also the beginning of May now. Some people are, you know, traveling, trying to make some summer reading plans, maybe thinking, you know, hey, I might binge watch a show or two. So what are your recommendations? What are you watching on TV Or maybe you and Yuris, your wife, uh, what do you listen to on podcasts or music or whatever?
1: Yeah, well, uh, first up, shameless plug for all you listeners. Uh, We are looking at topics for the end of season two, so stay tuned. Um, That's right. We have a couple of really cool things that we're thinking about. I think it'll be a a really fun series. Um, But for us personally, I literally just finished season one of Bone and Shadow on Netflix. So I wasn't quite sure anything about the show. I was like, shoot, I'll just give it a go. Um, it ended up being really cool. I've and never I really heard of it. What's there's... it about? Um, basically, that there's this giant dark cloud that separates the land, and inside it are these monsters and gargoyle type things. And so the people are divided. This country is divided by it. And so they have to send skiffs through it, and a lot of them don't make it. So they're trying to figure out how do we get rid of this. And there also happens to be a divide in the people. So there are regular people like you and I, and there are people, I think, called um, Grisha who have special abilities. So they maybe don't know that they have special abilities. Um, It's not like Harry Potter, where your parents happen to be wizards and you are one. But you'll get tested at a certain age and find out, oh, can you manipulate air? Can you manipulate fire? Can you manipulate all sorts of other types of things? And there's a tension between the normal people and the Grisha and other people from around the world. So the story centers around um, this girl who doesn't realize that she's Grisha, and her power happens to be the one that can get rid of this giant black cloud um so it's really cool interesting Um, i've also watched for all mankind that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. that's that's a really neat show being in huntsville they even make references to huntsville a couple of times which is cool uh my wife and i love to watch bob's burgers um shamelessly we love to watch bob's burgers um and then reading as far as reading is concerned there's a book i'm i've been working my way through called dwell um and i don't have it here yes i do um Dwell life with God for the world. So that's been a, a pretty interesting book. And I've also decided to go back through and start reading church history again. Mm. You know, it's been a couple of years since I've been in school. So it's yeah. like, you know what, I'll I'll go back and read through. There's a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of really neat things. Um, and of course, we are at the next five hundred year segment of church history. Yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of movement going on. And if you'd like to know what I'm talking about, send us an email, send us a message, invite us out to lunch. We would love to talk to you about. The 500-year happenings.
0: Yeah, yeah. In a sentence, church historians would say pretty much every 500 years there's a major movement or shift in, in the way people engage with with Christianity. So, as Sam said, send us an email if you want to know more. Yeah. Um, what about
1: you, John? What are you watching? What are you listening yeah, okay, to? So what are you? I would highly, time on?
0: highly recommend if you have not yet seen it. Ted Lasso is probably the mm-hmm. best show that that was on television last year. It's on Apple TV. So if you don't have a description, uh, a subscription to that, you will need to get it. It is five dollars a month. It is worth the $5 to take a month, binge watch Ted Lasso, cancel your subscription if you need to do that. Because, you know, I mean, we all have too many subscriptions. I get that. Uh, If you do have, if you have bought an Apple product, though, in the last you know few months, you get a year, a free year subscription to Apple TV with that. So if you have not taken advantage of that and you've bought an Apple Mm -hmm. product, do that and watch Ted Lasso. For all men... What is it that...
1: Mm -hmm. I was going to say, what is it that you like the most about Ted Lasso? Because it is a show about a football American football coach who goes to coach soccer in England. So I want to hear what what do you like about the show? Just,
0: he's just a great character. So when you when you start you think it's just going to be this slapstick comedy and there's a little bit of that. But it really is a much deeper and heartwarming story than that. He is kind of a goofball, but he's a very likable lovable goofball. And there's sort of a redemption arc through the whole thing. Um there are parts of it, I mean don't watch it with your kids. <laughs> there are parts of it that are a little raunchy, but I have, I have read things that have said it is the most Christian show on television. And the, what is meant by that is, is the sense of really the, the feel like you cannot help but like Ted Lasso and neither can anybody that comes into contact with him. And so it really just kind of leaves you with this feeling of like, this is how the world should be. This is how we all should be. And particularly as believers in Jesus. And we're going to talk today more about what, it, what does it look like to be the image of Christ, to, to imitate Christ in the world around us this show kind of gives you a picture um, and, and he's not explicitly Christian or anything like that, but just how likable he is um, is just a really, it's just neat to watch and mm-hmm. you can't help but feel like if more of us were like that, the world would be a better place. So mm-hmm. highly recommended. I, I watched uh, for all mankind as well. As Sam said, um, that's also on Apple TV and, and concept there is what would have happened if the Russians had been the first uh, nation to land on the moon. And it just kind of goes from there. So it's, Alternate history. I'm really into those kind of things. Uh, I just started watching Mad Men, which is a you know older show, popular years ago, but one that I never watched at the time, and so I um, have just recently started that. So, and then books. Yeah, you know,
1: go ahead. Like I watched Mad Men a couple years ago, and by the end of the show, like I was ready for it to be done, but like my heart ached because the show was done.
0: Yeah. So hopefully
1: it, you you enjoy it the way I did.
0: I've heard I've heard really good things that it's one of the one of the better shows that's been made in the last few decades. So looking Mm. forward to seeing how it turns out. Yeah, You know, books, I'm sort of uh, probably three quarters of the way through Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay, which he's a Huntsville native. And that's that's a really interesting book, really interesting perspectives on biblical interpretation and things like that. Um, I'm also reading or going through like two or three chapters into the liturgy of politics, which is right now. Okay. Like I haven't super enjoyed it yet. Um, So we'll see how that turns out. And Mm. then I mean, there's a ton of podcasts that uh, that are good listens, particularly if you're on a long drive. Anything from the Bible Project, um, ask NT, write anything is a great podcast. Mm-hmm. The Holy po- Post is a great podcast, and those are all mm-hmm. uh, Christian-based ones. And then more just kind of general interest ones. I really like one called Spectacular Failures, which is about you know businesses that have sort of everything sort of lined up in their favor, and then they fall apart like a blockbuster. Um, mm-hmm. I listened to one just recently on. Ah, uh, Pan Am Airlines, which they were like the premier airline thirty years ago, and right, now yep. you nobody's heard of them. You um, see them in Mad Men. Yeah, and I'll say thirty years ago it might be generous, but probably more like fifty. Um, <laughs> Every little thing is another one like that that's really great, and it, it just starts with people asking questions. Um, one of my favorite ones was one where they were like, "How did how did organs become?" associated with base, baseball games. And so they kind of do a deep dive into that kind of thing. And mm. it's just really interesting. So mm. uh, so yeah, those are our recommendations. We'd love to know some of yours too, if you have any. So shoot us an email or a comment or whatever, and um, we'll give a listen to some of your, your recommendations. So also before we jump in a little bit further today, Sam, um, just building on sort of a conversation that we've had ongoing from episode to episode, you know, we've talked a little bit about um, how to look at the Bible and looking at it as more, descriptive rather than prescriptive. So that means looking at it as just kind of an account of what happened in people's lives versus like specific pretexts or or formulas or whatever for us to do in our lives. So some people might, Mm -hmm. might be thinking, then what is the Bible for? Right? So like, if we shouldn't look at it as, what does this verse mean to me? And if I can't look at it as, you know, the Lord knows the plans that he has for me in Jeremiah 29 or whatever, then why, why should we even bother? Like, if it only... If it's only about people thousands of years ago, then why should it deserve any of my time now? I'm wondering what you thought about that.
1: You know, I think one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard about the Bible is that it is a love letter from God to the world. And I really think it is. And it is a, you know, there are multiple parts and there are multiple books by multiple authors across thousands of years, um, but they still consistently share that same love story of God seeking out to live. In connection with what he's created, and it's it's a beautiful story. Um, and to your point, and you mentioned um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. If we can't sit down and say, well, this applies to me, what do I do with it? Well, you know, couldn't you ask that about any other historical writing? You know, C.S. Lewis has been dead for years now. Do we just throw out C.S. Lewis's work because now it means nothing because he's dead because he was writing at a different point? No, I think you would say, well, there's a lot of value here. There's still a lot that you can glean, a lot of things that you can learn because this person had something to say. And when we get to the biblical authors, I think the biblical authors are telling us about a time when God did something big and very real in history around them. And so they've recorded it and preserved it for us to be able to go back and look at. And so although we can't say, well, this is about my life and this is about my relationship or pursuit for health, wealth, and happiness, you can say, well, here are areas where I can stand in the story next to the protagonist who is suffering and God still came through and did something for them. It may not have been the way they expected, but God proved that he was still loving and he was still gracious to forgive. And he still pursued that individual, whether it be Jonah or Isaiah, um, as N.T. Wright would say, uh, or Jeremiah or, um, you know, or even the story following Solomon and King David. There are still points along there where you can say, well, I'm not the king of Israel, but you could say, well, God was still faithful and God still had a plan and God still desperately loved his people. So that's, I mean, I kind of probably went on on a little further than you
0: would like, but yeah, no, there's a communal value, um, yeah, and and really the bottom line is, do you, a, do you believe in God? B, do you believe the resurrection happened? And do we have, with the accounts that we have, do we have ample evidence to at least reasonably believe those things? And if if you think so, then then the scriptures are still going to have value to you, mm-hmm. um, but yes, their their value is widely accessible, and and I would say, um, widely. I hate to use the word valuable again, but um, their value is in their ability to apply to the whole community of God's people, not just to me and my life or you and your life. And what they end up doing is revealing the character of God and the character of people through these stories. So yes, so the stories are about particular people and they're not about you and me, but we hopefully learn things about ourselves through this. We've learned things about the character of God through this. I mean, the, the ultimate question that's being asked in the Old Testament is, can we recapture what we had in the Garden of Eden? And sort of sub-questions of that are, are people still good? Because you remember when God created it, you know, he looked at everything and it was good and he looked at people and they were very good. And is God good, right? So those are two questions that really just kind of dance back and forth with one another throughout the Old Testament. And by the time you get to the end of it, you sort of realize, no, people people aren't good, at least in the, in the you know, we might be... In comparison to one another, better people, uh, like I might be a better person than you or vice versa, but mm-hmm. in comparison to what we were designed for and what God intended for us, like the ultimate question that we, or the ultimate answer that we have once we complete the Old Testament is, is no, we're not. And then the other question is, well, well, is God good? And when you see him continually, does he discipline his people? Absolutely. But is he continually faithful to his people in spite of the fact that they are not faithful to him? Yes. And mm-hmm. so- you, you, you see that as well. And so that begins to emerge. And so the stories, while they in and of themselves may not have particular value as far as the, the characters, as far as the details and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, a story about Samson, awesome, kind of entertaining, mm-hmm. but really what is revealed in that is deeper truths that, that do apply to our context that do help us understand more about god who again being god is a being otherworldly than us i mean that so like our ability to even begin to understand god is already hampered um so so every little help that we can get from that is is good so I would say that would be the value that the scriptures still have. And and those things can still speak to my life, but they do so in the context of community. And we'll talk more about that as we as we dive into this a little bit more. Hopefully, you'll begin to see an answer to that question that will make some more sense by the time we're at the end of the show. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you said something interesting, just real quick, um, that the story is about people. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, the Bible is not relevant because it's about people thousands of years ago. And I think the the reality is that people really haven't changed. Right. If you read the Bible, you're like, right. "Oh yeah, people are still self centered. Oh yeah, people are still trying to you know mess over other people or whatever else." All of the flaws that you see in people throughout the Bible are still true because people haven't changed. The only thing that's changed is our perspective on time. Right, right? we are at this modern point and we can look back, but otherwise, like it's still relevant because people haven't changed.
0: Yeah, and 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 even if you look at like the way social media gets used right now to spread disinformation um to spread slander and that sort of thing mm-hmm. like it can seem like like this is a unique problem that humanity has had to deal with but if you if you look at any method of communication where where something has been created that mm-hmm. moves faster than we can handle that's always been the case so You know, back in the 1800s, it was things like telegrams and newspapers and printing and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Like, everybody had a newspaper in the 1800s. And those things, they didn't have the standards that we have today. If you just go read, like, a historical account from that time period, you will see a lot of the same kind of stuff that you see now on Twitter and and Mm -hmm. places like that. Um, And then you go back even further than that, the, the printing press. The ability to print things faster than people could process what to do with it really changed the way... It changed the way we communicate but it really revealed kind of deep down who we are and that's always been revealed every time there's been some new method of communication so that's just an example to get at what sam's talking about people are the same you know the utensils we have can be different but we're going to still find ourselves falling into the same traps over and over and over As we get into today's topic, we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We'll read it in just a, a little bit, but to give you sort of a brief highlight, it's going to be about, um, the two words I'm going to center on are image and imitation, and I'm going to use those interchangeably, and hopefully it'll make sense why I'll do that in just a few moments. But Sam, uh, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? Or maybe more importantly, who did you want to be like? Like in, in a nutshell 10 20 30 seconds like who was it that you Sam Maxwell wanted to be when you grew up
1: So born at the end of the 80s I was a 90s kid so I wanted to be Brett Favre
0: Nice Yeah so not so anymore did you, did you have like a <laughs> uh, Did you cut your hair like Brett Favre or anything?
1: I did not know I but I uh, I bought his jersey even the little like Halloween costume uh green bay packers bought one of those i had a green bay football I wanted to be just like brett Favre. Uh, yeah. if i had to pick one person otherwise if you asked me what i wanted to be i would have told you well monday i wanted to be a firefighter tuesday i wanted to be a pro baseball player wednesday i wanted to be a football yeah. player um, yeah. and i think even one day i just i put on a bathrobe and came down with a magnifying glass and said i want to be a detective and my parents fell over laughing nice um, i guess i was just a, a funny kid so what about you
0: so for me um when I was when I was a really little kid, Knight Rider was a big deal, and so Michael Knight was the main character. I so wanted to be him. <laughs> that was the first kind of character, I guess, that I can remember identifying with, and and being like, man, I want to be that guy so much to the point that like I wished my name was Michael uh, at one point in my life. And then when I got a little bit older, Saved by the Bell was a big deal. I've talked about that before around here. So Zach Morris was kind of the sort of icon that I wanted to be like. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I I would comb my hair like him, which I still Mm -hmm. kind of do anyway. um, I I started, it was when I started getting into like, Hey, I should, I should think more about what I wear to school as opposed to like, let me just throw on this t-shirt and pair of jeans or whatever. And so I started trying to model myself after his fashion sense and that sort of thing. And so that was, that was kind of it for me. And then I had a lot of uh, imitation products because my mom was a very sweet, nice, caring, but frugal woman. And so like I, you know, Reebok pumps, I can remember those were a huge deal when I was like late Mm -hmm. elementary school, early middle school. And I really wanted those so bad. And and so my mom got me some pumps, but they weren't Reebok pumps. They were, they were were called LA gear regulators (laughs) and they pumped up as well, but, but they were kind of imitation Reebok pumps. And my friends called them Freebox. Um, you know, when I was in middle school, starter jackets were a big deal. They were also super expensive at the time. They're not anymore, but uh, I wanted a starter jacket. My mom got me like an imitation. starter. It wasn't even an uh, imitation because it, it didn't look like it, but it, it did resemble it. It was just a different brand altogether. And then as I got into high school, like Timberlands were a big deal. Everybody everybody wore Timberlands. And we, my mom, being the sweet frugal lady that she is, uh, got me some look alike Timberlands. And my friends called them Limberton's. And, um, so that was, yeah, like I always just had the imitation products and never had the real deal. So what about you? Uh,
1: you know, I, I actually remember having a starter jacket, but I think it was a hand-me-down from my sister when she grew out of it and it was a Charlotte Hornets. Nice. So I'm definitely dating myself. Um,
0: no, everybody had their Hornets one. That's awesome.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about that, I feel like with the, as the internet has become more popular, I feel like imitation products have become more popular, yeah. right? Because you don't you don't want to go and pay $200 for an NFL jersey. So you get on a website and you yes. say, I want one direct website. from source yeah. Yeah. for $30. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got at least one of my jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, or even electronics, right? You don't want to go to Apple and spend $90 on a new cord or charging block. So you go to Amazon and you find a knockoff that works. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, interesting, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and other people might have, you know, their fake Gucci bags, fake Fake Mm -hmm. cake spade bags are a big deal. So, and a lot of them are so close, you almost can't even tell the difference. Right, right, right. So, like, those, these are just things like whatever it is, whether it's sports jerseys, whether it's, you know, things when you were growing up, whether it's handbags or, yeah, phone accessories, whatever it is, like, we're all familiar with imitation products or, or, fake products that, that are made to look like the real deal. So I want to park on this idea, and we'll come back to it, but just hang on to this idea of something being the image or the imitation as we dive into today's topic. So again, we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's probably most recognizable in NIV, and it says this, We know that all things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So let me read it again. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So typically, most people will, sh- will shorten this to, well, you know, God works all things together for good, and it's probably most often used that way, and, and I would say abused that way after a tragedy. So let's say you've experienced a deep personal loss of some kind, whether it's the loss of a career, the loss of a loved one, some sort of life event that has gone awry, and people will mean well, and they'll come to you and they'll say something to this effect. Well, you know, God works thing- all things together for good. Uh, Or they might also say something like, you know, everything happens for a reason. And the problem with that is when you interpret it in this way, this seems like, or it can seem like a verse that doesn't deliver on its promise. Because the implication that you make when you say this is along the lines of, you know, God's just sitting in heaven, orchestrating our lives and being like, man, I'm going to do this really great thing for Sam and John, but first let me make, or let me let this really crappy thing happen to them first. Mm -hmm. And there may be, there may be a certain degree of truth to that, that maybe God does allow something to happen. Maybe you are permitted to suffer through the consequences of a bad decision and God can still make something beautiful happen from that. That's that's very much a true thing, but not every bad thing that happens is the consequence of a bad decision that you have made. So uh, anything you would add to that, Sam?
1: Yeah, I, I think I've often heard it as is- God does good things for those who love him, right? So it shortens it, it truncates it to the point that if good things aren't happening to you, then God doesn't love you or God's not a good God. Um, Yeah. So there are just so many different ways to cut this that really just do so much more damage than I think this was even meant to. And you know, looking at the larger chapter, if you were to take that God does good things for those who love him, you wouldn't be able to fit it back into the chapter because it just wouldn't make sense. It would be so out of place.
0: Yeah. And, and When I say, you know, this verse seems like it doesn't deliver on its promise. What I mean by that is, you know, rarely does someone like lose a job and feel like, you know, well, I deserve that, you know, or again, the loss of a loved one or an illness. Um, There's nobody really feels like they deserve these things. And, you know, for most of us, we're just kind of going through life trying to do our best. And uh, so when this uh, is mentioned, a lot of times some people will spin it to say like, you know, or spin the idea, take the idea two steps further and say, if something is wrong in your life, then it's because you've done something wrong or you have some sort of mm-hmm. un, unconfessed sin in your life or whatever. And and that's just not the case. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And we can't really get into that much further here, but there's really two things I really want to address with this verse right off the top. Number one, the time to share this thought is not at someone's funeral. So, mm-hmm. or it's not at the hospital as someone has lost their baby. It's not, yeah, when, they're, don't. not when they're <laughs> spending a weekend at home after getting a, a pink slip on a Friday or whatever. Uh, let's mm-hmm. keep in mind that Jesus... Jesus went to Lazarus's funeral and wept. He didn't he didn't say, "Hey, mm-hmm. God is going to work all things together for for good." He wept. Even knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus as a sign of the good that is to come for all of us. You know, Lazarus's resurrection and Jesus's resurrection both serve as guarantees of the good that are going, is going to come, but it's okay and it's appropriate to weep with those who weep, just like Jesus did. And mm-hmm. Paul will say in and 1 Thessalonians chapter four, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, but we still grieve. We still weep and that's okay. You don't have to go to someone who's going through a tragedy and try to offer some sort of good thought like this. Just go and weep with people and be alongside mm-hmm. them and put your arm around them and suffer with them. All right. So that's the first thing I want yeah. to address. The other part of it is what does good mean? Um, if God is working all things together for good, how do we define good? Because I think most of it, most of us would say, if you have a bad breakup, like, And someone says, well, God works all things together for good. And what they would mean by that is, well, you're just going to have a better spouse come along later. Or if you lose your job, like you're just going to have a better job come along later. And that's not always true. So we have to define what good means in this case. And the answer is in the very next verse. So the very next verse, Romans 8, 29 says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the idea is, and there's a lot here, but the idea that Paul is getting at is this idea of being conformed to the image of his son. Before we go there, I think we need to touch a little bit, Sam, on this idea of predestination really quick, because a lot of people are going to get tripped up just by the mere mention of that. And for them, if Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it at all, it'll be like a plot hole. So, And I think sometimes as ministers, we get accused of glossing over hard topics when really there isn't always time to do that. Uh, so I do want to dip my toe here, but before I do that, hear me say that this is a thousands of years old debate that yeah. has many intelligent Christ-like people on both sides, and we're not going to offer anything new in a three-minute gloss over of what's going on when Paul uses this word. But with that mm. said, it is my opinion that when you read Paul's mention of this word or the concept of predestination in, in his letters, it is not his intent to teach doctrine to his listeners or to his readers at the moment when he's writing this. Now, nowadays, that's how we use it. We'll we'll have entire debates over predestination or free will, and we'll flip to the letters of Paul as if he was writing dissertations to Christian believers in Rome. That's a luxury that we have. That is not a luxury that they had. Again, Mm -hmm. like they are in, this is a letter to the Roman Christians. They're in Rome. They do not know if they're going to live to see tomorrow. They, Mm -hmm. you know, how they are saved is not nearly as important to them as the assurance that they are saved. And we see this going on in China right now. Like Christianity is illegal there, but it's also exploding in growth and and people are meeting in house churches. There's a need for that. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, because it is illegal (laughs) to meet publicly as a Christian body of believers. And so it's a risk. And those that hold these meetings are at risk of prison. The state censors Christian websites there. And this is all going on now in 2021. Mm -hmm. Do you think they care that much about how they are saved or that they are saved and that in that no matter what happens, it's not going to put their salvation at risk? I think that's sort of a parallel to what is happening with these Roman Christians that Paul is writing to. Did you have something to add to that real quick?
1: Yeah, I did. I think you're completely right. And this is a huge topic and it's not easy. um, And there are a thousand different ways to slice it, but something you said um, about just our perspective on this is that we are afforded the opportunity to sit down and say, well, what does this word mean? And could he have meant it in this way or this way or this way? Much like we talked about in the first episode with Dr. Still, we are reading someone else's mail. Um, you know, Paul is not writing this because he's like, well, one day this is going to be in the collection of holiest of writings, um, teaching about God, the creator. Um, he's saying, I need to connect with these people and I need to send them this message, um, and let them know what i believe about their faith and what their faith means through what they're going through. Right. So on our side, we are not we are not china, we are not in rome. We are reading technically about a different time which as dr still said is very much a different country. They do things differently there. Yeah. Um, so we can sit over and read over their shoulder and say, well, we think this means this, we think this means this. They're time and place for that, but when you're looking through and trying to do exegesis or understand the text as reading and studying it. I just don't think that's necessarily huge. I think it misses the whole context.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what's his intent here? I mean, when, when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you don't know if your church is going to be around, you don't know if your family is going to be thrown in jail or whatever. The assurance that you are a child of God and nothing can take that from you. The insur- assurance that, as Paul would go on to say in this very chapter, if God is for us, who can be against us? He'll also say in this very chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says all this because they are literally facing trouble and hardship and sword and all of those other things. So for for Paul to say that and then to say also, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For him to say everything like that, that he is saying in this chapter, clues us into what he is talking about when he mentions predestination here, in my opinion. To me, it's not for him how they are saved. They don't care about that at this moment, and they don't have the luxury to. It's about the assurance that they are saved and that none of this that is going on is a surprise to God. None of it is a punishment from God. And that this, even this, can be used by God to serve God's purposes. Because Mm -hmm. Paul is saying, I assure you, God is in control. So even when it feels like he's not, and when he says foreknowledge and predestination, those are powerful words that both very succinctly convey all of that. And to me, that is what Paul is trying to get across to this church. It's not really doctrine as much as it is comfort at this particular time. Now, can you find truth and doctrine in it? Absolutely. And let's have those debates when we have the luxury to. But for them, I don't think that's what that is about at the time that he's writing this and at the time that they're reading this. He's not preaching. He's not proclaiming. He is pastoring. He is comforting. And there is a big difference there. So that's just one thing to kind of address with that. Because again, some people might get tripped up by that word. But really, with all that out of the way, I want to zero in on the idea of being conformed to the image of his son, because that's really the topic of what he's getting at here. And that's really, I think, the focus of of this whole chapter and this whole sort of section of, of chapter eight. That's the good being conformed to the image of his son is the good and God works all things together for good so in other words, God is working all things together to conform those who love him to the image of his son so that means when you're experiencing suffering you have an ultimate hope that yes one day God will turn it around that also means that when you are walking alongside of someone who is suffering you shut your mouth and you weep with them like Jesus wept with Mary and Martha that's a part of conforming to the image of, of God's son as well So, uh, and, and the other thing to sort of highlight with this, when you when you see this word of the, the use of the word image, image is sort of a missed motif or thread that travels throughout the scriptures. You have you know, human beings created with the image of God. In Genesis, you have the command not to make graven images. You have in Colossians 1, uh, we're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We have Jesus in the gospels asking whose image is on this coin. There's an implication there because he, he'll go on to say, you know, render to Caesar what is Caesar and render to God what is God's. And the implication is Caesar's image is on the coin. So give Caesar the coin. God's image is on your life. So give God your life. That's basically what Jesus is saying there. And then Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, this is a different word, like I said, but I'm going to use them interchangeably in our our show today. And I think it's the same idea that Paul is getting at. So we'll talk about that more in a few moments. But really, the overall picture, the, the the forest part of this, and not the trees part of this, we talked about that a few weeks ago too, seeing the whole big picture, seeing the forest. So the goal of the Bible as it pertains to you is not for you to go to heaven when you die. It's not like God is up there with a checklist being like, you did this, Sam. You didn't do that. You, you get in, Sam. You don't get in, John. And then what? Like, we sit on clouds and play harps forever and ever and ever? Like, no, <laughs> that is unfortunately the image of heaven that we have created, but that's not the portrayal of heaven that the Bible gives us. God's intent is for heaven and earth to be reunited into one. He set it up that way originally. He crafted us into his into his image and gave us the freedom to reject that. And we now have the freedom to embrace being remade, uh, not into the image that we have tarnished, but into the perfect image of Christ so that when it is all said and done, when heaven and earth are reunited, God's people will have had a a hand in bringing it about by slowly being made into the image of Christ and carrying that image wherever they go. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for image is a really interesting word. It's the Greek word icon, and it's where Sam we get the English word icon. So, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations! Say, like you all know a <laughs> Greek word. Um, it so the literal meaning of it is is resemblance. So let's let's think about the way we use the word in our day. If something is iconic. It's sort of the standard bearer or it's sort of representative of something. So, you know, we have iconic brands like Apple or Nike or Google. um, But if something is an icon, it literally means that it resembles something. So in the language of the writer here, if we were to sort of kind of bring this into our day and our way of understanding it, we could say that Jesus is iconic. He's the standard bearer and we are the icons. We are the resemblances to him. Um, mm-hmm. this idea of the image or the icon is so important in the Bible. It's one of the reasons why in the 10 commandments, we have the command not to make graven images representing God or anything else, because you are stamped with the image of God. You, you are literally the icon of God. And yes, it's tarnished, but you are being, uh, as we see the, the Bible develop, we see ourselves as the people of God being crafted into the image of Jesus or the icon of Jesus. So Jesus is the mm-hmm. complete image of God. And we are to be the resemblances of Him. So, worshiping idols is literally elevating other images or other icons. When, like, God has given us that that ability and that responsibility to be the icons, not that we worship, but that resemble Him. Uh, just to give you another idea of the word usage, is James uses this word twice in his letter, and he says um, one time he he says a person who doubts is like a, is like a wave tossed about. Um, and there's more to that, that sentence, but I, I just want to focus on that part because this idea of, or, or, or where he says is like, that's the word icon. So a person who doubts resembles a wave tossed about. He also says a person who listens to the word but doesn't do it is like a person who looks into a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looked like. So again, that's the word icon. Mm-hmm. A person who listens to the word but doesn't do it resembles a person who looks into a mirror and walks away forgetting what he looked like. So in every case, it brings to mind a resemblance, which is what the term is intended to mean. There's a Greek scholar, probably the foremost Greek scholar in our time, named William Mounts, who says this about the word. He says, Icon is used to identify Christ as the perfect representation or likeness of God. In kind, it is used to refer to the image of God in the Christian. That would be us, who is being transformed into the perfect likeness of Christ. At some future date, we will bear the perfect likeness of the Son. So, and he gives some scripture references that we, we will tag in, in our show notes. But again, the idea that you see here is Christ is the perfect image of God. We are the tarnished image of God and we are now being recrafted. Our whole goal and purpose now as followers of Jesus is being transformed into the likeness of Christ or the image of Christ. And one day when it is all said and done, like we will be that. Not in that, and not that we will be exactly like Jesus, but we will be Uh, perfect likenesses or resemblances of of Jesus. Mm. Any thoughts? Yeah,
1: yeah. so you brought up this idea of Genesis in the Garden, and in the book Dwell, um, shameless plug, um, that I'm reading, they kind of talk about this idea... And that man was never meant to live in this limited garden, but that the original intention of the garden was that man would continue to push and further the garden so that it enveloped the whole world, so that the entire world would exist in harmony and walk with God in this beautiful picture. Um, and that's the same picture we see for eternity. Um, I do have difficulty sometimes in talking about eternity and heaven as interchangeable because I think, like you said, we have this odd picture of what it really looks like. And when we say heaven, we think clouds and angels and harps. and Right whatever, whatever else. And the Gospels make a, a good designation that Adam was the first man. His name in Hebrew literally means man. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus becomes the second man. Mm-hmm. The first man had the opportunity to bear the full image of God and gave it up, gave up God's image for his own. The second Adam in Jesus maintains that image. So when we get to Romans and how it translates to Romans is that Romans 8 talks about this, this adoption by God, Mm-hmm. Adopting us in the spirit, so like you said, it's it's this internal transformation, this inward out. We we have these this temple within us, our bodies, where the spirit of God exists, and slowly over time, it transforms us more and more toward the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, so I think that's that's another piece, another really cool tie-in between this and what you said in Genesis. Um, so I I just think it's a it's a really neat. Connection, how it works. Just this idea of you know the fallenness, but this redemption, and now you were adopted and you were added back into this plan to expand, extend this Garden of Eden, and I am using air quotes at this point. Mm -hmm. um, Extend it to envelop the whole of the world, where things are made back into the way that they're supposed to through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, and how He enabled us to now enter into a way of existing in relationship with God that we lost when left our own devices.
0: Yeah, remember Jeremiah twenty nine. Uh, marry, uh, settle down, give your sons and daughters a marriage, plant gardens, right? So mm-hmm. that idea is carried further throughout, throughout Scripture. And then closely related to this idea of bearing the image or the icon of Jesus or being transformed into the image of Jesus, closely related to that is the idea of imitating. And like I said before, I'm going to use these words almost interchangeably because if you imitate something enough, you'll eventually begin to resemble it. Think of a comedian who can do impressions well. Um, Not only do they often imitate the voice, but the best ones, I'm thinking of like a Frank Caliendo or something like that, also also can usually resemble facial features and expressions as well when they're doing the the vocal uh, impressions. So the, the Greek word for imitating is the word mimeomai, which you might hear that and think, well, I don't know what that means. But actually, you probably do. Like mimeomai is where we get the word mimic. It's where we get the word Mime. Uh, and so we think of miming, we think of like the clown-like characters that make the weird box and <laughs> don't talk or whatever. It's sort of a laughable and perhaps goofy art form now, but originally it, it emerged as a form of satire or comedy. So again, much in the way that impressions sort of serve that end for us in our day and age, um, it's probably the closest thing that we have to the original intent of the word my is the idea of impressions or imitating Um Think about how yeah. well-developed drama and art forms like tragedy and comedy were in Greek culture. So this would have been an easily recognizable language for the early believers and uh, it would have come to mind for them. So if Paul was writing to us today, he might use the idea of impressions. He might, he might, you know, do something that draws our minds to think of SNL when Larry David is imitating Bernie Sanders or Tina Fey is imitating Sarah Palin or whatever. So um, that's something to kind of keep in mind there with this word. And Bill Mounts again says this about this word, mimeomai. He says, in the early church, many new believers needed models to show them how to live a redeemed lifestyle, since up to that time, their lives were shaped by pagan culture. Paul acknowledges that that the Thessalonians have used Paul and company as their examples. In fact, Paul does not hesitate to instruct his churches to imitate him. But Paul says this only because he feels deeply that he himself is following the, the example Of Christ the Lord,
1: yeah. So here's here's a really cool thing. I'm a big nerd, so this is what's exciting for me. It's probably not exciting for anyone else. Um, But really interestingly, the the pattern of life for the Hebrews, especially if you wanted to be like a religious teacher, a religious scholar, right? You would have to be able to prove yourself to be a certain quality, and then you'd get picked by the teacher, and the teacher would say like, "Follow me" or "imitate me." And the whole point of this was to follow that teacher for years and years and years and when they would sit and pray you would sit and pray when they would read scripture you would read scripture when they would go to the temple you go to temple so the idea is you were following this person everywhere every step along the way and doing exactly what they are doing you're imitating them you're you were becoming a replication of that person so that when you are set free you were doing what that person did and then you can take on someone else to to be trained and so when you pray they will pray when you read they will read when you Um, do priestly activities. They do those with you and they learn. So it's becoming like the teacher. It's like becoming like the master. So when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul knows this idea because he did go through the religious schooling. So he understands this idea of doing everything exactly as Jesus would do. And don't imitate me because I'm not the origin. Jesus is the origin. So don't get lost following me because I'm following someone else's pattern.
0: So let's so, so carrying that forward, let's keep in mind Icon being the image of Jesus. Let's keep in mind mimicking or imitating uh, Jesus and imitating each other as we imitate Christ. And let's go back to the idea of imitation products. So Freebox, Limbertans, fake sports jerseys, fake Gucci's, fake Kate Spade's, whatever. If someone wears a fake sports jersey, uh, the, the average person probably doesn't usually know that it's a fake. It, it'll look real, the numbers are sewn on, The material will usually resemble the real thing Uh, if someone has a fake gucci or a fake kate spade it looks like a real version of that handbag the only way when you have these imitation products the only way to know the difference between the imitation and the iconic brand is to hold the two up to each other and to have an or or for someone who has an intimate knowledge of what the original is supposed to look like then they could probably tell the difference as well so like i i can usually spot a fake sports jersey i know enough about the flaws of them that i can see one i can pretty much instantly know that it's not authentic i wish the lord had gifted me with something else but that's the gift that i have and that is the gift that i that i put to use so i can spot that most people can't i would have no idea if i was looking at a fake kate spade or a fake gucci handbag no idea some of our listeners might so just with that in mind when we think about this we try to imitate another person, whether it's Zach Morris or whether it's Michael Knight or whether it's Brett Favre or whoever it is, when we dress like them, when we walk and we talk like them, people with a knowledge of the original can recognize that. So the point with all of this is I have to be intimately familiar with the original to be able to spot the difference. And that is the point with ourselves as Christians. It's not that, you know, we walk an aisle and we pray a prayer so that we can get a blank check for everything we've ever done or everything we will ever do. Like, God just wants us to say that he is God and that's all we have to do. Like, that's not... That's not what this is about. No, we can't earn our salvation. Uh, we do have to admit that, and we do have to give ourselves over to God. We, we do have to have a point in time where we decide that we are going to be followers of God. But doing that should start this process. It should it should begin a process of making us look more and more and more like Jesus, becoming an imitation product of the iconic brand, so that when people look at us, they cannot spot the difference unless they are intimately familiar with the original. That is the point. So getting back to, again, why I like Ted Lasso so much. He's such a great character. He's such a likable person. And I think the reason why people have gravitated to that show so much in the way that they have is because we need more of that in our in our world. And so if we think about ourselves as Christians imitating Christ, being imitation products of the iconic brand, there should be a similar response to us. Like We should be the type of people that when we walk into a room, people respond to us and react to us the way they would to Jesus, right? So any thoughts there, Sam? Am I wrong? <laughs> no,
1: I don't think you're wrong. Um, and this may be very uh, soft work, but it kind of reminds me of like the telephone game that we played in elementary school, right? The first person gets the message and they pass it on. And even if you're a third person down, you probably don't have the right message anymore. So as we talk about imitating, like, sure, we could try to be better people like Ted Lasso. If we're talking about Ted Lasso is the most Christian figure on TV, then why be like Ted Lasso? Why get the message four people down? Why not just go to the first person and imitate Jesus, who is the one that everyone else is trying to imitate, right? Don't imitate the third or fourth. Imitate the first one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, again, I have no idea if Ted Lasso, the character, is supposed to be a Christian or whatever. But I do think the response to that show just shows us how hungry our world is to genuine niceness and kindness and um, love, loving, kind-heartedness. Uh, so so again, I think the world is hungry for that. And if they're hungry for that, then they are hungry for genuine Christianity, genuine Christ-likeness, which is the goal, which is what we are here to be doing. We are here to be made into that. So if you take this further and you zoom out from this verse and take a wider look at the verses around it in chapter 8 of Romans, you can begin to grasp a little bit better what Paul is getting at here. So between Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 30, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes, Paul mentions three things that for the Jewish reader or anyone familiar with the Bible, it, it would have completely unlocked the point of what he is saying to them. So he starts out talking about creation groaning. So he's, he, he talks about creation waiting in in anticipation for the redemption of the world, and more importantly, for the children of God to be revealed. Then he gets into what we've talked about today, that God works this groaning into good, into something good, so that the children of God can be conformed into the image of Christ. So there's three things here that Paul is mentioning in Romans chapter 8, creation, good, and image, that would have instantly drawn anyone familiar with Genesis, anyone familiar with the Bible, back to Genesis 1. So God creates in Genesis 1. He says that it is good in Genesis 1, and then he implants his image onto humankind. So if you're familiar with the scripture, And you're hearing this letter being written or being read, and you're, you know, and you're in the crowd and in in this church in Rome, and you're particularly a Jewish person, you would have instantly been drawn back to the creation story. So Paul is hearkening back to this intentionally because it is it is what we are supposed to return back to. And when people sinned in the beginning, we we kind of marred God's glory and we marred that image that was in us. But in Christ, that glory and that image are being restored. And it's gonna fully be restored in us when the Lord returns. But uh, our glorification, which is just a fancy word of saying that, you know, we're re- receiving the glory of Jesus, our glorification is, is just a part of the new creation. And as humanity's sin marred creation, so humanity's restoration will mark all of creation's restoration for the purposes for which God designed it. So that is why he says, Paul is saying that creation groans in childbirth. This is about us being, he, there's another point where Paul talks about the resurrection being the first fruits. Um, if you think about this time of year, as things are blossoming, the first b- blossoms or the first buds on your tree are a sign of what is to come. Our redemption is a sign of what is to come in the new life, the new heavens, the new earth, that it's all supposed to be reunited at some point in time. And then he also uses this idea of of childbirth when he says creation is groaning in childbirth, which I think is really interesting because it's a, it's a very poignant illustration from, from Paul because what happens in childbirth? It's painful. It's uncomfortable. You throw up sometimes. You get kicked. But through it all, a new life emerges and it is this new life that looks like you. So (laughs) we're going through pain, we're going through discomfort and everything else. But when it's all said and done, we will emerge with a new life that resembles the one that gave us life. Just as when we have children, our children resemble us. Once this is all said and done, like we will resemble Jesus more and more and more. So hopefully in this series, Sam, I'm hoping these pieces are starting to come together, that you know we've kind of been looking at these verses one by one by one but i'm hoping that people are beginning to see there's an interconnectedness to all of them mm-hmm. and and hopefully people are starting to see like what are we what are we meant for so let's like just a recap real quick jeremiah chapter 29:11 we talked about the idea of prosper being the word shalom and being about wholeness and completeness and being about the way the world is supposed to be when you work for this in your community you'll begin to find it in your own life and then we talked about philippians 4:13 I can do all this. I can I can do this conformity to God no matter what happens, whether feast or famine. I can do it through Christ who changes us, who strengthens us for that. We talked about Matthew 18, 20. When you get into the mess and the mud of relationships, that is where Christ meets you. You are meant for the community of God's people. You're meant to challenge each other there, sometimes to receive a dose of humility there. And in that process, Jesus will meet you. You will find him. And then we talked last week about 2 Chronicles seven fourteen this was written after the exile. We, we've we seen that we're not going to get this. And we've seen, uh, we have had the benefit as Christians, as those on the other side of all of that, to see that Jesus did it for us. And so we are now a part of that process, but it doesn't depend on us. And we are beginning to see now that the land that God is healing is not just Israel. It's not America. It will be the world, and it's going to start with Jesus, and it's continuing with us, and it'll, be, it'll have its ultimate culmination later on. And then we're seeing with this in Romans 8.28, God is weaving everything that happens into the fabric of the new creation so that we can trust that the end result will be that we are made good again and that we will bear the image of Christ. Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah. So just to to make it clear and I think maybe we talked about it in 2nd Chronicles, I don't know some of these are just running together. But while we were talking about the you being transformed and the you following after Jesus, the people who wrote the Bible wouldn't think about you as an individual or as this individual right. unit that is meant to be changed for your own purposes right? When we are made, Jesus came for all people, right? He took upon the sins of the whole world upon himself so that the whole world might be reunited with God in relationship through Christ. So when we see we, we as individuals are being transformed for Christ, it's not for our benefit, right? We do benefit because, you know, we get to spend eternity with God, but Jesus sought the benefit for all of creation, for all of mankind. So as we are transformed to be more like Christ, our Transformedness, if I can use that awkwardly, should be for also for the transformation of our community and our world and the people around us. And the fact that other people also bear marks of God in some way, shape, or form means that we have a responsibility to other people, right? Because they are the image bearers of God. So it's not about you, it's not about you getting yours and you getting what you need to do so that you can be okay. But being transformed into the likeness, the likeness of Christ, means that we go to the world, that we share the likeness of Christ with the world for the redemption of the world and all of humanity.
0: Yeah, just like we talked about when we talked about, you know, Matthew eighteen, getting into the mess and the muck and the mud of life, that's that resembles what Jesus did. Like Jesus was literally born in the dark, in a dirty, probably cave, a mm-hmm. place where animals lived. Uh so just that in and of itself is sort of symbolic of what Jesus did for us and in a spiritual sense of of entering into the mess of life. Uh, so that he can he can lead us through it and walk us through it and and be the the savior that we needed because as we again as we read the old testament we find out like ultimately like we're not going to be able to do to do this and we need someone to do it for us and and that is why Jesus is the savior that is why our hope is now placed in him for that so mm. as we wrap up today I want to reiterate the question we asked back at the top, and sort of sum up sum up what we talked about today in response to that question. So we said again, you know, what is the Bible for? If we if we can't look at it as what does this first mean to me, or if I can't look at it as you know the Lord knows the plans He has for me, then then why even bother? If it's only about people thousands of years ago, why should it deserve any of my time? I'm taking back to when I was in seminary, and we were in a class uh, on the New Testament, and we had a a biblical scholar come in who gave a lecture to my class. His name was Richard Baucom. And he had written a really profound book on the book of Revelation. And he was lecturing in my class about it. And one of the things he said, because at that time, you know, Left Behind was kind of on everybody's mind and, and you know, end time stuff, people are always fascinated by that. And he was speaking about that in relation to the book of Revelation and the writing and the reception of the book of Revelation from the by the people who first read it. And one of the things Richard Baucom said that I'll always remember, he said, the book of Revelation had to be about what first century Christians were going through. They didn't know if they were going to live to see tomorrow. They, they wouldn't have cared and they wouldn't have preserved it if they thought it was about whatever was going to happen 2,000 years later. They just would have been like, who cares? Like, I need to, I need to survive. I need to make sure my family survives to tomorrow, that kind of thing. So it, it had to mean something to them at that particular time. You know, Dr. Steele said something similar a few weeks back on this podcast. He said, you know, it cannot mean what the original author did not intend or what the original audience could not have understood. So conversely, we can flip, you know, that sort of precept that I that I was, that I heard from Richard Baucom and we could ask, so why should we care if it is about whatever happened 2000 years ago? So if the people 2000 years ago wouldn't have cared if it was about today, why should we care if it's about them 2000 years ago? And like we said early on, um, there's still a lot we can learn about this in all the details that we were given. We're still learned about the we still learn about the character of God. That doesn't change. We still learn about the, the character of people that doesn't change either. Our Mm-mm. incapacity to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yes, all these things were for were for specific people in specific places, but they do have a value for us, not in like mystical meanings that are going to make us rich or make us excel in the sports field or grow in our faith without the church. The value is in what is being produced in God's people Through the promises, not just us individually, as you were saying, Sam, but in God's people collectively through the promises that God has made throughout Scripture to his collective people. So the specific cases are descriptive of people at that time, but the general realities do extend to us. The specific cases sort of serve as templates or the foundation that has been laid that then we can bank on that will hold us up and then ultimately all of these stories point to the new life that all believers will fully realize in Christ in the new creation and that's why they've been preserved for us and that's why we study them the bible has as one unified goal in all of that and when we we read it in a disconnected manner we miss this but mm-hmm. when we when we start to kind of see this big picture and stop looking at the stop missing the forest for the trees and start looking more at the for, forest we, I think, begin to see all this. So to summarize how this all ties together with the passages that we've studied in the series, I would say this. You know, Jeremiah 29, we talked about seeking the shalom of others because in doing so, you will find your own shalom. You can do this through Christ who strengthens you. Philippians 4.13. When you get into the mess of doing all of this, he is with you. That's Matthew 18. And for those who have repented, who are called to be his people, he's going to come back to heal the whole world. That's First Chronicles 7, 14. Because we know that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. That's the passage we talked about in Romans 8 today. So all these things are really tying together to paint a broader and bigger picture than what we normally typically see when we look at these verses, particularly when we look at them individually or when we look at them in a way that is disconnected from the story that the Bible is trying to tell us.
1: Mm-hmm. And as Marty McFly might say, yeah, this stuff is a little heavy, but as Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for my weight is light. That's right. So yeah. I know it, it seems crazy. I know it seems like a lot to take on, but, you know, just just one day at a time, you know, just seek God one day at a time in the newness of the day um, and open yourself to what God might be speaking into your life as you seek to be transformed into Christ's likeness.
0: Yeah. And whatever you're going through, Paul's encouragement in this, again, he's writing to Christians in Rome. Who are refusing to say caesar is lord who are risking their lives to say christ is lord whatever you are experiencing or going through paul would say he would, he would comfort you and he would say a it's not a punishment it's not a surprise to god and whatever it is that you're going through god can use that even that to still conform you into the image of christ to still bring you to an end result that serves his purposes so with that said as we close if you have a question about today or even a particular verse that we've shared about in this podcast, or maybe a verse that we haven't spoken about yet, uh, or you'd like us to clarify on something or elaborate on something in the series, please send it to us. We'd love to do sort of a Q&A show to wrap this all up. So if we get three or four or five questions from our listening audience where, you know, you'd like to know about something, like I said, that we haven't talked about or we can clarify something that we have talked about, please send it to us and, and we can wrap up this this particular series with all that. Also, like we say every week, if you've listened, if you've liked or enjoyed this, please rate us on, on Spotify or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please share it on social media, send it to a friend, anything like that. Special thanks, as always, to Patrick Chester for doing our audio engineering and our show production. To Ellen Christian for doing our artwork for the series. And to Sam Maxwell, our very own, for killing it with our show notes every week. If you haven't checked those out, please go in there and check those out. We have all sorts of links and additional resources for you. We'd also invite you to check out our website at fbchsv.org slash adults so you can find out more about how to plug in with our group, As God Intends You, so that you can be crafted more into his image. Uh, We'd love for you to plug in with us with a Bible study, a service project, a fellowship that we have coming up. So go there. Like I said earlier, we'd love for you to join us at our Trash Pandas outing on June 6th. We'll also have a planned Young Adult Worship Night coming up on June 11th. So please join us at any of those things and reach out to us with anything that you might have or need or questions for an upcoming episode. Any last words, Sam? No, I think the plane's ready to land. Awesome. Well, let's land the plane. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And we will see you again next week as we look at Corinthians. So tune in then. We'll see you guys then. image of Christ so that when it is all said and done I'm going to wait for that train to pass and I'm going to redo this whole paragraph yeah that works Patrick just FYI
1: Patrick (laughs) that train is so distracting
0: for real man